0: Well, dear sisters and brothers in Christ, grace to you and peace from God our Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus the Christ. Well, I think to get a handle on the gospel for this day, we need to start back in the Old Testament reading uh, this uh, piece of work called Isaiah. Uh, As I learned at seminary, there are three books within the book. There's first, second, and third Isaiah. First Isaiah is before the conflict, before the war. Uh, second isaiah is after they have been led into bondage there is great concern on the part of the people that god has abandoned them and the prophet announces that in fact that god has gone into exile with them but third isaiah of which this reading came from is about the return and part of the issue part of the setup that had happened for the people Uh, First of all, there's somewhere, we think, over 100,000 people that were in captivity. And they have been in Babylon for decades. And truthfully, it was all of the political leaders. It was all the priests, the scribes, those that were still left alive. But more importantly, it was all the engineers and builders, the people that knew how to manipulate stone and wood and to make a city work. Those are the people that have been in exile along with their families. But somehow they had got it in their head, hearing I think the words of the prophet, but putting their own spin on it, that somehow God in God's great magnificence had fixed all the problems. And that everything had been restored somehow, maybe magically, during their absence. And so there are people that are still within the community who were little people when the exile happened. And we hear from some of the Psalms and some of the uh, other minor prophets, we hear those words of those people as they looked one more time on the ruined Jerusalem as they topped the last hill where you could still see Jerusalem. And we also get to hear their words from when they return. That very first glimpse of what Jerusalem should be in their mind, what it ought to be, what should have happened in their absence. But instead, what they find is the exact same messy, torn down city that they had left all those decades before. Nothing had been fixed. Really, no one was really living in Jerusalem. It, for the most part, had been abandoned. The water didn't work, the sewage system didn't work anymore, it was a mess. So people are able to go back to their own home. That would have still been there. It might have been destroyed before they left, but no one's been there really to take care of it. And you know what homes look like after just even a few years, let alone decades. So the community is just a wreck, truthfully. And they've, and they've kind of turned to themselves and they're looking after their own interest and they, and they believe in their heart that I've got to take care of my family, my home, my little tiny piece. I've got to get out and get my garden going. I've got to make sure that we've got livestock that are being tended to. The community is, in fact, shattered. You hear it in the very first words. It's just simply not working. Let me read them again. If you remove the yoke from among you, the pointing of the finger, the speaking of evil if you offer your food to the hungry and satisfy the needs of the afflicted, then your light will, shall rise in the darkness and your gloom will be like noonday. The Lord will continue, can continually guide you and satisfy your needs in the parched places and make your bones strong and you shall be like a watered garden. There is this invitation to look out for the neighbor and it specifically lands on two places for that community. All the prophets that are there, Isaiah being one of them, are inviting them that we need to repair the wall. There's no way to defend the city and there's really no way to rebuild the community unless we have a sense of community. So there's this invitation that comes from the prophets to please set aside your own desire and work for the larger community and to repair the wall. That's the repairing of the breach. And they finally do. But the other call is to remember that the Sabbath is given as a gift. And it's given for two things, two things. One for the family to be reunited and tended to around a meal. That's how you begin Shabbat. But then there was a need for the, the larger community to gather to study the word, to hear a word of blessing to build, in fact, the larger community. It is what we're doing here this morning, right now in this worship service. A community has been built, gathered together in this place. You're gonna all go your own way after this, but now on this day, this moment, here is this community that has come together to hear a word, to sing a hymn, to be fed at the Lord's table to make the Sabbath a blessing once again. Because there's two ways to wreck the Sabbath, right? One is to just simply ignore it and pretend that it's not there and that's what they had been doing. And so here the prophet's inviting them back into using the Sabbath as the gift that it was intended to. And now we get to Jesus. If you were here in worship with me last week, you heard me talk about Jesus saying, I have come to bring fire, and oh, how I wish it were kindled. Well, if you wanna know what fire looks like in Jesus' world, this text, this story would, would be a prime example. Because here's this rabbi who steps into someone else's synagogue, someone else's house of worship, someone else's house of study, And now here comes this woman who has been bent over with this ailment and she pushes her way into the community. She's acting incredibly boldly, by the way. She, for certain, is not in just the women's section, which there would have been one. And all kinds of things that are happening that we just don't get anymore. When I got to worship this morning, when I got to church this morning, I talked to women that did not belong to my family. Not one of you was surprised about that. In fact, if I had not talked to them, you would have been somewhat offended, right? Well, what's he thinking? I talked to all kinds of women this morning, but Jesus would not have done that in the world that he lived in. You did not talk to women that were not a part of your family. I love the example that I learned from rabbis that if I'll speak to all the women who are married. If you're a good wife in the first century and you want to talk to your husband in public, you would have tugged on his sleeve and he would have stepped over into an entranceway of a door. And then you could both pretend that you were inside. And then you and your husband could talk. But if you were a good wife and you were out in public and there was no such place You you would be very unsettled if you just talked to your husband in the open. So imagine a rabbi speaking to a woman who is not a part of his family. People were already talking. And then what does he say to her? Please stand up. And then he does the most amazing thing, again, that we don't get. He put hands on her. And in that moment, she is restored. Because this is the part that we really don't get. In the world that they all lived in, everyone knew, and especially she knew, that because of what had happened to her, because of her bent-over nature, that everyone knew that either she had sinned or her mom and dad had sinned or grandma and grandpa had. But someone in their family was not righteous, which is why the the affliction had happened to her. And now Jesus reaches into all of that, and she is able to stand up straight. It is a word of forgiveness in the most important sense possible in the first century. Because now that the ailment or whatever it was, whatever the affliction was, has now been lifted, it is a sure and certain sign that... Righteousness has been restored, that it's been given as a gift. That she now is restored not just to her family and to herself, but to the larger community. Now this is my favorite part, and I'm gonna pick on Martin, although he's not here this morning. Too bad, maybe he'll be at 11. Because the council president is leading the charge, right? (laughs) That's why I'm picking on Martin. The council president in this story is the one who's very unhappy, because by now the people of God have made a mockery out of the Sabbath. They have gotten to a place where it is no longer a blessing, it is in fact in some ways a curse, because people thought they could be self-righteous in observing the Sabbath. And they could be quite judgmental then of their brothers and sisters who were not making making the mark. Imagine living in a world where if you were a tailor and you got ready to go to Shabbat or to the synagogue and you stepped out the door but you had forgotten and you'd left a needle stuck in your cloak. You'd broken the Sabbath. And your neighbors would have noticed that and they would have pointed that out to you. They were so hyper vigilant about the Sabbath that it was no longer a blessing. And Jesus is in fact lighting a fire here on this morning. He's breaking all kinds of rules. He's causing all kinds of consternation within the community. And that's what the council president is speaking into. It is not right for you to be trampling all over the, uh, over the sh- Sabbath. That's what the council's president is saying. You need to stop doing that. This is not the way we work. You're not being faithful. You're not being righteous to Jesus, except that he's not actually talking to Jesus. He's just talking to the crowd. But then comes these words, and this is the best part of this story, is Jesus says, all of you hypocrites, You do all kinds of work on on the Sabbath. You do all kinds of things. You take care of your animals, you feed them, you tend to them. If something breaks, you're gonna fix it. But you would deny this woman God's grace, this daughter of Abraham. So here's this woman who has been so far out from the community that she had to push her way back in, who now in this title gets restored all the way. If you've heard enough of my sermons, you've heard me talk about the fact that that in the first century, no matter what culture you were in, Greek, Roman, or Jewish, that until your father said you were a child of the family, you were not a child of the family. You were not a son or a daughter until dad said so. So for Jesus to say, here we have this daughter of Abraham. She's all the way back in. You couldn't get any further back in. What I love about this story, two things. One, that the Sabbath is given as a gift. And Jesus is very clear that that's what it's for. It is for a blessing. It is a time for being together as family, more importantly, as community. To have a sense that we belong to a larger group, that we, in fact, for us, are a a part of the body of Christ that we have gathered here on this Sunday morning to be refreshed and renewed, to hear our sins are forgiven and to receive a gift at the Lord's table. What do we bring that we want to leave behind? What ailment has kept us bent over? Is there some part of your life that is keeping you bound up to keeping you paralyzed? The word that's used to describe the the woman is anesthesia, It means to be held, it means to be bound so that you can't move. That's what happens when we're anesthetized before surgery. An anesthesiologist does that to us, although their primary job is to wake you up at the end. That's really their job. We hope they're really good at that part. But when you're in that surgery, you are bound by those drugs that enter our body. That's what's happened to this woman. So what has bound you? Is it anger or depression, anxiety, fear? What has bound you and kept you bent over? And on a day like this day, what gift is coming from our Lord and Savior to you? So I want you to hear that on this Sabbath day, that Jesus Christ is here for you to bring you a word of life, to lift you so that you might stand up straight that you might be, in fact, set free and unbound. So God's blessings to each of you as you are the people of God, as you have been nurtured and loved and cared for, amen.